Welcome to A Raw Perspective, a fresh point of view. I am your host, Richard Anthony Moss, in another action-packed edition in the Quarantine Podcast of A Raw Perspective. Today, the subject is about the state of being black. I have a special guest today, and she is going to introduce herself. So what is your name, and where are you from? My name is Bianca Marichaud, and I'm from Canada. So we got Canadian experience from the black perspective, and we got the American experience for the black perspective. And yeah, we're just here talking about the state of being black. We know that in these times that we've seen a lot of businesses contributing to Black Lives Matter, but is it truly genuine or is it just a marketing ploy? And it, those are some of the things that I want to like dissect in this conversation. And I mean, it's, it's nice for you to say that Black Lives do matter, However, did you have to wait for Nike to say Black Lives Matter before Sprite was like, okay, I think we should do this as well. Uh, So just talking about the experiences that are happening between in America, and then I believe Bianca can give her experience of the state of being black with a Canadian perspective. We all know in particular that the black experience is not monolithic and not everybody is going to have the same experiences of what is transpiring uh, within the world today, but we do see in the media that uh, we, we see advocates and we see those people that are fighting time and time again about pertaining to, to Black Lives Matter. And then you have oppositions that are saying that all lives matter and blue lives matter and you know, we don't want to go too much into depth about that. But, you know, talking about our own salient experiences about being black folks in, in a world where where we can see. So we'll, we'll see if there's similarities. We'll see if there's differences within the black experience um, of the, the state of being black. So I'll start first from my experience of being a, a, a black man in America. Everybody that that's listened to my podcast previously knows that um, I, I come from a pretty privileged background. Uh, came from a two-parent household. Didn't really have to struggle too much uh, as far as financial means. Everything was pretty much catered to me. I went on vacation. I mean, very, very privileged life, and I, and I can come to accept those terms. However, I still live the black experience. Uh, growing up in predominantly white neighborhoods, uh, being called the N-word, uh, being made fun of or lacking friends because I was a different race than others or being played upon. As I grew up, I realized that these were microaggressions, that these were like assassinating my character of being a black person because, again... The perspective was that the black experience is monolithic, that all black people do this, all black people do that, and so on and so forth. And it's entirely not true. We have different intersectionalities in which makes us unique. Yes, we have this melanin that is darker hue, but 
everybody's has a different experience and the state of being black here uh, within America, we see it on media portrayal time and time again. I mean, the latest uh, individual that was shot due to police brutality was Jake Blake and that's close to home which is right up the street up in Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's literally an hour and a half drive away from where I live if I wanted to drive up to Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, having an individual being shot in the back seven times. Uh, I mean, fortunately, he is still alive, but his life has forever changed, and it's quite sad to see this happening time and time again, and as a black man, we, we're exhausted. I mean, I, I'm, I know I'll speak for, for myself, but talking with various people that identify as, as black or part of the African diaspora or the black diaspora, they, they can echo the same sentiments of being tired of watching people that look similar to you keep getting shot. I mean, we still have no justice for Breonna Taylor, who was tragically murdered in her home. She was sleeping. We, we, we don't have justice for that. I mean, during a pandemic, you would think that things would, would change, but no, nothing, nothing has really changed. Uh, I, but I do see more and more advocates uh, within folks supporting Black Lives um, and trying to advocate for change, but it's it seems like it's it's the the same game, different players is what what it says. I mean, as far as anything changing, it has to be systemic for anything to change, in my opinion. So as far as like my black experience, I mean, you know, working at an institution of higher learning, I'm usually on boards or committees that try to resonate with. Students of color, particularly black students, stating, how can we help best support the black students? Now, if they couldn't do anything when I was an undergrad and then speaking to the older generation where they had the same issues back then, what makes you think I am the one that can initiate change? I mean, yeah, it's a great conversation and great effort. However... We're just continuing the same circle that we just keep running over and over and over again. And in order for change to be truly implemented, it needs to be systemic and breaking the systemic rules and regulations that have supported the, the majority um, individuals, the people in the position of power. Uh, that doesn't happen overnight. So... As far as the state of being black, uh, for me, I'm, I'm tired, uh, particularly within the United States of America. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. Uh, it's, it's an exhausting process to just simply exist. Like, my simple request is just don't shoot me. It's, it's hard. It's not that hard to do. It's just to shoot. Don't shoot me. Like, I don't really bug anybody. I mind my own business. I keep to myself. Like I got a loving mother. I got a loving dog. You know, I'm supporting partner. All that. You know, just stop shooting people that look like me. 
And that's my state of being black. Um, you want to add anything from from your experience you want to talk about, Bianca? Sure. I can add I can add my black experience, which is quite different from yours, Richard. Um I did not grow up in a two parent household. I grew up in a single parent household, raised by my mom, um, with a whole lot of siblings and eventually nieces and nephews that joined the picture as well. Um, it was definitely tough, but my mom did a really good job of concealing the fact that we were pretty poor. I didn't really understand that we were poor until about the third grade when the Scholastic Book Fair would come around and all the kids would have money to participate and I would ask my mom and she'd feel really bad saying no and giving me very colorful reasons as to why I wouldn't be able to participate. That was the first time realizing that I was a little bit different from, from the other kids. And it, it was tough. It was tough coming to that realization because you never, it never really hits you that this is your reality. I, we always had all the latest game systems. For the most part, I was up to date with the trends. But when I look back and even in conversations with my mom, she really did those things so that we would be able to fit in at school because we went to an elementary school that was predominantly Italian and Portuguese students, faculty, and staff. And so already being the minority, being dark-skinned black folks, she just wanted us to fit in as best as we could. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that, you know, she tried her best to make us seem as quote-unquote normal as we could be. But it was tough. It was definitely tough. And then as I grew up and started learning more about money, seeing you know the past due bills on the table, seeing locks on the door because we can't get in, because we didn't pay, it was, it was really interesting. And I, I grew up in a neighborhood that was also predominantly white. And there were a lot of white neighbors who were really supportive when things like that happened like when we couldn't get into our homes and so we didn't necessarily have a place to go they would open their their doors to us but there were definitely the ones who were a little more on the racist side that saw those locks as being a symbol of finally those blacks are leaving but still we never left been there going on 24 years this october which is, which is fantastic. My mom managed to hold it down, so I'm very thankful. I also never fully realized that I was black until the third grade. Mm -hmm. Everything just seemed, seemed pretty normal. I mean, in my elementary school, there weren't many black folks to begin with. But for the most part, the kids and I got along well and there didn't seem to be this clash of, of color or, or differences. It was just kids playing and being kids, building sandcastles and playing at the water table. But in third grade, that's when I was in a grade two, three split class. And we had a white teacher 
who was Italian, and most of the white folks in the class were Italian. He was very good at making it known that white people, but particularly Italians, just had something different about them, had something that you, you couldn't explain. The foods that they eat, the, the things that they do, the, their family values, just something that the black kids in the class wouldn't understand. Mind you, there was like three or four of us. And that's when I really started to, to see the difference between what I was coming to understand is my lived experience and the experiences of my other non-black classmates. And that was really the start of this sort of pattern of othering and realizing that I have to navigate this school in a different way, being five times better to be half as good as the white kids and seeing that in the projects that I did and the, the grading that I got, recognition, even praise, even the way that you were spoken to. And that continued all the way throughout elementary school, so right through to grade eight, continued into high school as well, so up to grade 12. Granted, high school had way more black people, so at least there was more of a, <laughs> more of a community there, but experience was pretty, pretty well the same. And now, oddly enough, working in higher education at the institution that I graduated university from, it's definitely been, been interesting. Um, I definitely <laughs> recognize that I have to navigate the space in a way that's different from my white colleagues and predominantly the, the staff that I work with are white. And it comes down to really small things like I talk with my hands, that is a fact. I can't talk unless I'm moving my hands. And one of the first things that I learned when I sort of went from frontline staff, moving up to more supervisory roles and eventually into management, was that I was constantly told that I, I need to put a pause on talking with my hands because it could be taken as aggressive or a little bit too animated. I might not be taken seriously. Or even the way that I speak. I'm a very fast speaker. I speak with a lot of animations. Like I said, I speak with my hands, I speak with my eyes. My whole, my whole body goes into the words that I say. And constantly having my white staff particularly police the way that I, that I speak and, and I move, even down to the way that I, that I dress, it's been really interesting. And when you work in higher education, it's particularly interesting because these institutions herald themselves as places where you are encouraged to bring your whole self to work and that you will be celebrated and welcomed, not just tolerated. But when you really dissect it and you, you go into particular spaces, bringing your whole self to work is never really bringing your whole self. Mm -hmm. That's my experience. Yeah, I, I mean, I can echo the same sentiments in regards to putting on putting on your voice. Like there, there's a way that you speak to your colleagues uh, within within work as opposed as opposed to your you know your friends, you know local friends that would identify as you. Like I am, I would st state for me as as a black in individual is I am my authentic self through through whenever whatever 
lens that you see me through. But there's going to be different ways that I portray myself within these different experiences that I have to go in in these different spaces. So when I am in my my position of work, I, I professional to a T. I, I I also work in higher education like Bianca, and you know we have to put on this level of professionalism. Um, you know, understanding policies of what the institution has transpired, going by the policies and what they have stated, uh, because. If anybody challenges us, because that's happened before, um, we can go back and refer it back to the policy. But I've been challenged so many times as a black individual about different rules and regulations. And there's always going to be like, well, I want to appeal that. I want to do this and I want to do that. And it, it is stated systemically in the policy that these are the rules. And just because me as a black individual, I mean, says no. I mean, it, it's happened to my white like colleagues as well. Like, but it feels like they want to press a little bit more with me in regards to rules and regulations that have been transpired. So it, it, it is tiring because, like Bianca was saying, you have to know your, your stuff twice, twice as much to get you know, half the accolades. We have to know our stuff forwards and backwards, and we have to know our stuff to a T, because if we mess up that one time, it's like, oh, they messed up. That means we can just, you know, cut them right then and there. So we have to be at our absolute best, and that pressure is, is tiring. It's, it's, it's emotionally draining, and then you have to think of the ramifications that are uh, beside us. Yes, if you, you can look at different households and, like, families, like, most people that I've noticed have been first generation, like college students, first generation university students. They are the first in their family to go to an institution of higher learning. And when that person makes it, it feels like the whole community. It's like, we all made it. But then you have to remember, it's like, yeah, you made it, but you still have to give back to that community. It's never like you can never go away um, from there. Like, I'm not a, a first generation college student. Like My dad went to college. I went to Northern Illinois University, so I I had a leg up on what institutions of higher learning were looking at. It's like read your syllabus. This is what this is what you'll do um, throughout the entire semester. I mean, some students don't have that privilege of knowing what you need to do. All right, these are the different scholarship opportunities that you need to go, go to. These are the different activities that you need to do. Speak to your professors. Go to the, the professor's office hours. These are things that we state in, you know, those one-on-one courses, like introductory one-on-one courses. But actually having a parent to literally tell me that these are the steps. Um, and that, as a, as a black person, I mean, you know, knowing systems and taking advantage of the systems to get myself to get myself a better grasp in higher education that that is that is advantageous which a lot of individuals that I know didn't have those same privileges that I did um, so that was my job even though it was just me I wanted to get back to my community the people that looked like me even when I was in my undergraduate institution telling them about the different resources like hey this is how you do it 
this is how you get that experience. Um, those are the things that I wanted to help. Those so like being in the state of being black, like in higher education, it might be the only one. Might be a first generation college student navigating through financial aid, trying to get the funds to go to an institution of higher learning because university life is expensive and regardless of what you do and making sure that you have the different resources or the different support groups to help you has always been challenged from what I've from what I observe within my black community um, I mean obviously some some black folks will get it and then there's others that you know it, the system is not catered towards people that look like me that people that look like Bianca it, it does not not bode well for us it's it's a system that's set up to to make you fail and I and I wish that systems could could ultimately change I don't know if that's what you've seen in, in your university experience with people trying to navigate through spaces trying to get information they make it difficult do they make it easy I mean you can talk about that yeah, policies. Policies are, are tough to dissect. Um, and the interesting thing about policies is that although for the most part they're accessible, I mean, they're right on typically the registrarial website, it's not easy to understand what's, what's really being said. There's so much jargon that makes sense when you work in the space. But when you're a student, or someone who's consuming, how are you really supposed to understand what it's saying, what the implications are? The interesting thing about policies when it comes to higher education is that very rarely is a policy just simply a policy for that one thing. That one policy has direct implications on your ability to access financial aid or your ability to call yourself a full-time versus a part-time student your ability to enroll in classes in the, in the next semester. So how do we expect students to connect those dots? The dots make sense to us because we work in the space. We know A to B to C to D. Students don't know that. But we tell ourselves, well, it's right there. It's on the website. It's accessible to you as if that's enough, as if that's okay. And that's the extent of, of how we can support students. So it's very interesting. It's an interesting time working in higher education and being black. And as Richard said, so I'm very different. I'm first generation, very first in my family to go to university, to complete university, very soon will be the first to, to do my master's. And it's a lot of pressure. It's, it's very overwhelming. There were so many times in my undergrad that I wanted to give up and I continued because I felt that I wasn't just doing this for me, I was doing this for the seven other people in my family who never got a shot at going to university. And it's this odd feeling of an obligation to your family, an obligation to yourself but also just an obligation to the black community as a whole to not to not fail to not give up but it is a very 
crippling pressure for me. It resulted in very serious depression, um, near suicide. So if you're first gen and you're in college or university, use your, your mental health and counseling services. I didn't in undergrad. If I could go back, I, I definitely would because I just, I, I thought I could fix myself and I really couldn't. <laughs> and it's three years since I graduated from undergrad and I'm still, still working through those, those thoughts and, and those very crippling feelings because they can be lingering. For me, that's almost four years of lingering feelings. I can still pinpoint the exact day and time that I felt like it was the end for me. So please, most likely you're paying into those mental health and counseling services, so please use them. Another really, really tough thing is those feelings of not belonging. So like Richard mentioned, higher education is really not built for black folks. It's, it's not, it's not as, as much as there's these equity and diversity and inclusion and community initiatives and you might see yourself represented in the posters and the other, the other recruitment pamphlets that they use to get you to come to their institution. The space is literally not built for you. And so It's one thing to acknowledge that, but it's another thing to understand what that really means and how you have to navigate that space. It is very difficult to not have a voice. You have to speak up. You have to stand up for yourself. You have to advocate for yourself. And if you can't do it with your own voice, use another person's voice. Often there's folks who work in student government or student advocacy Maybe even your student union might have someone who can advocate on your behalf, almost like an ombudsperson. But the point is, you have to speak. Even if your voice is shaking, even if you're stuttering, even if you forget what you wanted to say, you have to speak. And I only started using my voice in the second half of third year. And that's when my undergrad experience drastically changed. But if I had used my voice from the beginning, I think I would have enjoyed my time a lot better. So use your voice. Use your voice. It's there. If you can't speak it, write it. Mime it if you have to. <laughs> but you got you to advocate for yourself. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can hear these two different experiences. Again, the black experience is not monolithic, is what I will say time and time again. These are the challenges and, yeah, the pressures of, of being black, not only, like, here in America, but, you know, being black in Canada as well. There, there are pressures just to exist in spaces, to try to do your absolute best where a system is not set up for you. And that is underlying pressure. And that is why I, I, I thank Bianca for talking about mental wellness. It's, it's crucial because I'm not sure, like, if like whatever your your family background is, um, I come from a family where 
uh, going to speak to someone within therapy, you know, having that privilege to use that. It's, it wasn't really common. It's like, all right, you, you feel sad. All right, deal with it. Call it a day. Um, and I, and I think this generation of, of individuals growing up, it's like, you know what? I'm pretty messed up. Um, you know, my mental health is not doing so well. And, you know, having, if you have that privilege to access those services, I mean, you do it. I mean, I wish that these services here in America could be uh, more accessible to those that really need it because we don't, we don't see it. You see, um, where your resources are going, particularly in the United States, like it's going into more wars and like guns, artillery. It's like we don't need that shit. It's <laughs> like for what? Like why do we spend billions and billions of dollars on on soldiers? And that's what people mean by defunding the police. It doesn't mean abolish the police. Uh, defunding the police means allocating the resources to help the greater good, help the citizens. Uh, because, I mean, you keep giving different Glocks and nine, like nine millimeter Glocks and police cruisers and stuff like that. Those resources can be allocated somewhere else. I mean, I was speaking to my aunt and talking about how Chicago Public School, they only have one Chromebook per family. What if you got like three or four kids that are in Chicago Public School? That that's a system that's set up for failure. And, you know, black folks in, in particular, like, they're not getting those necessary resources that we see uh, for them to experience. And, you know, people are angry. People are tired. People are frustrated. And, of course, people are going to do what they're going to do in order to survive. So when people are like, oh, my gosh, these people are so violent. They're so angry. Why can't they just, you know, pull themselves up from their own bootstraps if they would just realize that the system is not set up? for individuals like that. Yeah, so what if I put you in a position where you had to, like, you know, fight for your food, fight for shelter, just to survive? Like, people, like, the people that I have, I have, I have family members that have, have lived in, in inner cities that have had to survive. They say they would not wish this shit on anybody. They, they, they don't. They, they don't want that experience to happen to anybody. They, they did this so they can do this for survival. They're doing it as a hustle. That's where the hustle mentality came from. So they can survive. So everybody's like, oh, I got to hustle. You know how that thing just translates over into like the mainstream community? It's like, oh, I got my side hustle now. It's like, no, a hustle was just in order to put food on the table and survival. These are the things that the system has brought into place, particularly in America. You see it every day. Um, it's, it's quite sad and, you know, I'm only one person, I can't do everything, but I, if I do have that privilege, the opportunity to give back, I will. And people are like, oh, celebrities should give back more money. It's like, they only, they only can do so much too. And I mean, not all celebrities are saints anyway. They got issues as well. They just, what a celebrity in my mindset is, is an individual that has a platform to say whatever the hell, hell they want to say. And just have money to do whatever the hell they want to do. That is celebrity. Plain and simple. But yeah, as, as far as a black man here in America, my, the state of being black, it's it's a tiring effort. It's, it's, it's real tiring. Um, 
Like we just we just want to just be loved and appreciated, just like everybody else is. Um, I mean, it's kind of messed up that you know from from a historical perspective that black bodies were brought over here to help build this land, and then it's like, all right, now go away. It's like. Motherfucker, you brought us here. <laughs> to like, and like, whatever different experience, because, you know, black folks were dropped off everywhere uh, from there. But it's like, seriously, like, it's, it's so ass backwards to me. Like, I, I don't know. I, it, it's tiring, it's draining. Um, like, I'm tired of being on different committees for like black coalitions on how to help the black experience. Like, we know what we need to do, you need to change the system. Simple as that. We can talk all day. But in order for anything to change, you have to dismantle the system which is in place. You need to stop redlining. You need to stop being having nepotism for individuals that are that are in positions of power. You can't have all your buddies work at place. It's like, oh, because I like them, so I'm going to hire them. Yes, as human beings, yes, we tend to gravitate towards people that we like. But sometimes we not, we need a different, fresh perspective of individuals that might not mesh well with our ideas. We have to sometimes think in a different perspective because sometimes we get too deep in our comfort zone that that just messes things up. And, and this is where we are in a system from that. I just don't understand how a pandemic, how people are literally barely making a profit within a capitalistic society and then within two to three months people are losing their jobs and millions of people are out of work for unemployment that just blows my mind and then only giving 1200 us dollars to individuals for a stimulus boost that just and that's it <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense it, it, it literally doesn't um so I'm, I'm tired as a black man just black in general um not sure if Bianca's tired of me and, you know, with this experience. It's, it's exhausting just to, you know, exist. I mean, literally it's exhausting. Um, but my final words, I'm going to give some final words. You want to give some final words? So my final words, it's like whatever challenges or struggles that you get into, like you can always reach out. Reach out to those that you trust, um, especially if, if you identify as a black individual. Reach out to 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 your unit to to your people that you can trust on because these are tough times in the midst of a pandemic uh if you're not working i mean i feel for you i mean if you want to even reach out to me i can try and be a resource as best as i can to see what i can do at least to get you some some money in your pocket somehow i'm i'm not i'm unopposed of not trying to help out people i've always been a helper in my unit. Like, with, with Bianca, she's been a, a great asset for me, you know, connecting with different folks um, within the, the country of Canada, which has been really helpful um, for, for what I want to do. So my, my words of encouragement, just especially for being a state of being a black person, is just, you know, reach out to your units and, you know, don't, don't be afraid to ask for help. My final words, okay. My final words, kind of like yours, Richard, is that there's so much power in, in community and there's also so much power in self-care. And when I say 
community. I don't just mean necessarily, you know, your friends or, or your family, but they can certainly be community. But even just making yourself a little bit more present in spaces that that are unapologetically black, where you can be your, your full, authentic, amazing black self, where you don't feel stifled or silenced. I think that's probably one of the best things that I've done for myself this past summer. I actually joined the black faculty and staff network at the institution that I work for. And it's so nice, so nice. One, realizing that there's more than two black people that work (laughs) with you. There's dozens of black folks that work at this institution that I had no idea about. But two, just having that community of, of people who look like you and who understand the lingo that you're using or the references that you're making or when you're sharing your experience, you get more than a, I'm sorry that this is a reality, what can I do response. Like, yes, it's, it's lovely that, you know, people are asking what they can do, but there's only so much of that that, that you can take. The great thing about community is that there's there's space to have that that rage, but there's also space to to create and to be hopeful and and to reimagine a world that you want to create and that there's people that are actively willing to create that world with you. And my second thing is often as black folks we can feel like we're just constantly in this state of failing. And like we, we don't have room or, or permission to fail because when we fail, it's not just a solitude failure, but it's like you're, you're failing on behalf of many other people. But really something that I've been trying to, to tell myself especially is that failing only actually becomes failing at the point where I tell myself that I've given up, at the point where I'm no longer trying, at the point where... I'm conceding. You can stumble, you can fall, you can scrape yourself up, you can be bleeding. But if you get up and you keep going, even if you're crawling, you're still moving, you're still progressing, you're still going forward. That's not failure. Failure is only failure when you are fully throwing in that towel and you're telling yourself, nope, no more, I give up. So as long as you're moving, you're moving. So I really hope that you keep moving. Progress is still progress, no matter how slow. Awesome words. Awesome job. Well, that's that's the state of being black. Uh, what am I talking about next week? Uh, I'll figure something out. Uh, probably talk about something. I'll talk about something. Maybe I'll talk about movies. Who knows? <laughs> I'll figure it out. But... You can always follow me on my Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash a raw perspective. Um, if you feel free and this resonated with you, you can always tip a brother because it does cost a little bit of money to keep this thing upkeep. I do this for y'all. Um, like I said, this is my personal journal ever since my father had passed. This has just been a space for me to you know express myself, you know, bring in certain guests and help assist me along those lines from there. But I'll I'll figure something to talk about uh, soon. It'll be next week. I'll give you something to listen to. 
maybe I'll talk about the PS5 versus the Xbox. Uh, who knows? I'll, I'll, I'll figure something out. But thank you to my guest, Bianca Mary Show. Appreciate you for giving your two cents uh, to the world. And with that being said, my name is Richard Anthony Wallace. This is A Raw Perspective. Peace.